Come on, somebody. If you love Jesus, give him a hand clap. Come on. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love your outfit this morning. You look amazing. Look back at him and say, you look great. How's it going? I'm Pastor Skyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Rooftop Church. In that news clip, a woman in Canada rescued her son from a cougar. She literally saw that her son was in danger, and she pried open the mouth of a cougar to save her son's life. Her mama bear instincts kicked in. Any moms in here know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that mama bear instinct. In research this week, I found a quote that I think sums this up pretty well. A mother's love for a child is like nothing else in the world. It dares all things and crushes down remorselessly all that stand in its path. So 70% of human deaths caused by grizzly bears are related to a mother bear protecting her cubs. Bears are notoriously protective mothers, which is why in our culture we call a a mom a mother bear if she's extremely uh, protective of her children or her child. A good mother will protect her child and do whatever she must do to make sure that her child is safe. I read that Anne Frank's mother, Edith, died of starvation a mere three weeks before her concentration camp was liberated by the Soviet army because she stopped eating to give her daughters the food that she scrounged up if she ever found them. I read about a Kentucky mother who showed true heroism when a tornado threatened to batter her children with flying debris. Stephanie Decker used her body as a shield hovering over her child during the storm. She lost parts of both of her legs, but her children were unscathed. I read another story about a mom who threw herself, she literally saw a runaway car, and she threw her body in between the tires of this runaway car to prevent her toddlers from being run over. There really is nothing quite like the love of a mother. And today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture where God likens himself not to our Father who art in heaven, but as a nursing mother. So we are currently in week 14 Wow, week 14 of our sermon series, Isaiah for Today. We're spending 10 months going through the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was an 8th century Hebrew prophet, which means he lived in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period, so roughly seven, 800 years before Jesus. And he spoke on behalf of God to the leaders of Jerusalem and to Judah, and he warned the people that if they persisted in their wicked ways, that God would use the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon to judge them for all of their evil deeds. In order to better study and understand Isaiah, we've broken up the series into some smaller sub-series. Our next installment of Isaiah for today is called The Lord Is. Look at your neighbor and say, The Lord Is. During this mini-series, we're going to be focusing on the character of God as he is described in the book of Isaiah. The author of Isaiah paints a large and beautiful portrait of God in this book, but several themes emerge. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is is righteous and just. The Lord is angry 
And this week, we examine a new aspect of the character of God seen in Isaiah and throughout Scripture. So describing God can be a difficult task for some of us, right? God being so infinite and immeasurable, it can be challenging to attach accurate characteristics to the Lord God Almighty, right? In fact, this week I asked uh, my followers on Instagram, finish this sentence. The Lord is, and I got many variations of indescribable. The Lord is God. The Lord is all around me. The Lord is misunderstood. So let's jump into our text for today and see how God describes himself. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 49. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, that is A-OK. We've got the words up on the screen for you guys to follow along with. So again, Isaiah chapter 49, we're going to be starting in verse 8 and going to verse 18. The restoration of Israel. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, and all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west and from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forgotten me. My Lord has forgotten me. He has forsaken me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you, on, engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes and see. They all gather. They come to you as I live, declares the Lord. You shall put them on as ornaments. You shall bind them as a bride does. What I want to do is I want to go and look back at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget you, yet I will not forget you. A common word that is described, excuse me, a common way that God is described by the authors of the Bible And now he describes himself as the Hebrew word rahum, or as the noun rahamim, meaning compassionate and compassion. Look at your neighbor and say rahum. Look back at him and say rahamim. Just practice, go. There you go, you can speak Hebrew. Good job, way to go. So that is the topic of today that we're going to dive into. The Lord is compassionate. And what is extremely interesting and probably surprising to you is this. Both rahum and rachamim are both related to the word rachem. 
Look at your neighbor and say, Rechem. The word Rechem means womb. Remember, Pastor Matt explained to us last week in Hebrew culture, uh, the way that people describe feelings and emotions and characteristics was through body parts. To have a long nose means to be long-tempered or slow to anger. Hence, God has a long nose and is slow to anger. In this instance, rechum, or compassion in the Hebrew Bible, centers around our core, inviting us in to imagine or picture a mother caring for her small, vulnerable baby. This word here to describe God is a, way, is a word used to convey a deep emotion, and not just a feeling, but being so deeply touched that one is moved to action. We have seen over the last few weeks that the people of Judah and Jerusalem cannot seem to stay faithful to the call that God has put on their life. He has specifically set these people apart to be a light to the nations. He has set them apart as his people to love them and care for them. And the people of Judah and Jerusalem continue to neglect the poor and oppress the widow and orphan, make unholy alliances with corrupt nations and continually pledge their allegiance to other gods. Despite the compassion shown to them, the people of Judah continue to resist God and his love. So somewhere around my sophomore or junior year of my undergrad, I was sitting in Dr. Lindner's world religions class, and we were on the Christianity section of the class, and we were going through the different covenants that God established with his people. First, the Edenic covenants. Next was the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the priestly covenant, Davidic covenant, and lastly, the new covenant. And so a covenant is essentially an agreement. Biblically, a covenant is a conditional promise made to humanity by God. The covenants are agreements between God and his people in which God promises to protect and bless his people if they keep the law and are faithful to him. This was to their benefit, though. God is holy and perfect, and in order for the people to be able to connect with him, which God desperately wants, the people must be holy as well. Some of these covenants were unconditional. Some, however, were conditional. Do this, and I'll do this. The Edenic covenant, for example. God gives the people dominion. Just don't eat from that tree over there, which they do. The Mosaic covenant. God promises to make the Israelites his treasured possession among all people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, if they follow the commandments, which they don't. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, that lasts about 10 seconds, and then the people immediately begin to participate in idol worship. So essentially, God is making relational agreements and setting the terms with these people in order to make them his people, which he desperately wants, and they keep breaking them. So back to Dr. Linder's class, she's telling the class about these covenants and how the Israelites just can't seem to be faithful, and they keep breaking these covenants, and one of my friends, who, who's an atheist, mind you, speaks up and says, wow, this seems like a very toxic relationship. God should just end it with us. We are the toxic ex that God keeps texting, even though we keep leaving him. I thought, dang, that'll preach right there. I got to remember and use that one day in a sermon. Today's the day. Amen. Come on. Thank you. God is so faithful 
and righteous and just and sovereign. And he's chosen these people to be his people, to love them and care for them. And his people cheat and lie and steal and rape and worship other gods. And yet he keeps coming after these people. Why? Not because we are his ex and he can't get over us, but because the Lord is compassionate, like a mother whose love is unconditional. So compassion, this word now in context, is describing God's actions motivated by his emotions. This is a common theme throughout all of scripture. In the book of Exodus, his people are enslaved by Egypt, and God hears his people's cries, and he is moved uh, deeply. He has rachamim for them, and he sets his people free from slavery. As they wander in the desert, he again has rachamim for them, and he provides them with all the necessities for life, and he guides them much like a mother provides all her baby's needs as she carries them in her rachem, her womb. And in the book of James, we see when James is recounting the story of Job, he talks about God being full of rachamim or compassion. And out of the abundance of God's compassion, he acts and he restores to Job all that he had lost. And then he gives him twice as much as he had just for good measure. That is the kind of God that we serve. He is a God of immense and immeasurable rachamim, compassion. So again, let's look at verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Because of the people's continuous idolatry and injustice and rebellion, God's people find themselves exiled and scattered among the ruling powers of the day. Here in this verse, we see God full of compassion like a mother towards her baby. Can a mother forget her nursing baby and have no rachamim on the child of her womb? But then he contrasts himself from an earthly mother because he says that even they do. And even if she forgets, God declares, I will not forget you. God, full of this motherly compassion, declares in this passage that he will rescue his people. Verse 13 says, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But I want to address the elephant in the room. This passage is titled, The Restoration of Israel, which means that they need restoring. You only need restoring if you've been broken or destroyed. So if you remember from my, my sermon about a month ago, I told you about the ruthless Assyrian king Sennacherib. Uh, he was laying waste to all the towns and fortresses in Judah and Jerusalem. And this passage is written after that. Jerusalem at this point is destroyed. Um, and many of God's people have been killed. And they lost their homeland. And now they're living in exile. And God allowed this to happen. And last week, Matt spent 30 minutes telling you God is angry. So what's the deal? What's the deal? Well, frankly, you can be angry and still have compassion. And like a loving parent, God disciplines his child and his children. When I was a child, if I did something I wasn't supposed to do, which happened often, my mama would give me a warning. And if I persisted in my wicked ways and took that extra cookie when she told me not to, and I got caught, I would get spanked. 
If spanking offends you, I got a really strong, stern talking to. Thank you. And God sent to Judah and Jerusalem Isaiah to warn them if they persisted in their wicked ways that God would spank them. Isaiah says in Isaiah 28, give ear and hear my voice. Give attention. Hear my speech, please. Stop sinning or God will bring his judgment. And they did not. So God, holy and righteous, spanked his people. And yes, God gets angry, but we know that his anger is slow and that he is full of compassion for his people. Aren't you happy for that this morning? He loves his people. Isaiah 49, 16 says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Does that make you think anything? So what does this mean for us? Well, if you've been following along with us through this series, you see that Isaiah points to a future day where this rahum, this compassion, becomes personified. The God of the universe enters into humanity, literally into the rahem, the womb of a young peasant girl named Mary. Jesus is the compassion of God become human. In Greek, the word compassion is oiktirmos, and Jesus is moved with such oiktirmos as he sees all the suffering in the world. He lived in a culture full of racial division, hierarchical class systems, and all-around brokenness, and he was deeply moved by the sick and the needy and the outcast and those that were in need, and it was all around him. And he, too, began to act as a mother bear, so to speak. Let's turn to, to Luke. Go to Luke Chapter 13, we're going to read verse 34. And Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. What? Did Jesus just compare himself and his mission to a mother hen? Yes, he did. Why? Well, did you know that mother hens demonstrate behavioral habits that deviate from the normal chicken? After hatching their eggs, their priority shifts from their own personal survival and well-being now to protecting and ensuring the survival of her young. Young chicks are threatened by predators and other hens in the flock. The mother will teach them basic skills while guarding them until they are mature. Hens are so motherly that if they see a chick that is being neglected or not being cared for, she will take it in as her own under her wing and care for it as though she hatched it herself. Even more interesting, recent studies suggest that the mother hens may also experience empathy. I became uh, something of a mother hen expert this week in my research. If nothing, nothing else, you will have learned some Hebrew and some random facts about mother hens when you leave here today. The article read, a new study has uncovered for the first time that mother hens are such attentive, caring parents that they feel their chick's pain. In experiments, female chickens showed clear signs of anxiety when, they were young, when their young were in distress. They found that the adult female birds possess at least one of the most essential underpinning attributes of empathy, the ability to be affected by and share the emotional state of another. In other words, to be deeply touched and moved to action. 
Jesus here in Luke is saying that he wants to gather his people in like a mother hen and bring them into his embrace. The sick, the maligned, the outcast, the broken, those who are not being cared for and are being neglected. And the ultimate expression of Oitirmos, Jesus, is moved by compassion to enter into death, to literally disregard his own safety and well-being and go to the cross to rescue and save us, his children. And this compassion is the life that Christ has called us into, to be deeply touched by the hurting and the suffering of others and move to action. And like a mother hen disregards her own personal safety to ensure the safety of her chicks, we are to care for each other. When we are in pain and when we see others in pain, we can be certain that God is deeply touched and moved to respond and there to meet us with his deep compassion. Like a mother hen, gathering her chicks. God is touched by the suffering of his people and he is moved to act out of his compassion. So what does this mean? Well, God's compassion protects, God's compassion perfects, and God's compassion provides. God's compassion protects, perfects, and provides. Number one, God's compassion protects Like a mother bear, mama bear, a mother hen, our God protects us. He yearns to bring us under his wings. Psalm 91 tells us, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my strength, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Look at this. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of nights, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. This is the 911 call to our Lord God Almighty. Our world has been turned upside down by this COVID-19 pandemic. It's hard not to think about the virus, because it has literally touched every area of our lives. Some of us have been separated from friends and family. I went home for Thanksgiving, but I was unable to see my mom because of COVID. Churches have closed their doors. Schools are closed. Jobs are either at a total loss or on hold. Some people are working from home. Gyms, restaurants, and other small businesses are forced to close. And then there's the news. Every story or report seems grimmer than the last. The coronavirus pandemic is confusing and frightening for hundreds of millions of people. It's hard not to be anxious or worry or fearful. But scripture tells us 365 times, as a matter of fact, fear not. Because our God is our protector. We are reminded in this passage that we don't dwell in the news. We don't dwell in anxiety. We don't dwell in worry. We don't dwell in this pandemic. We dwell under the wings of our mother hen, amen? Number two, God's compassion perfects. God's compassion perfects. Go ahead and turn with me to James chapter one. We're gonna look at verses two through four. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. One of my favorite passages of scripture all time. James chapter one, verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces 
Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here, James is telling the early Christians to count their trials and sufferings as joy because through the trial, God is doing something in their hearts. He is making them, James says, perfect. Well, the Greek word here is teleos. Look at your neighbor and say teleos, which means lacking nothing necessary to completeness or, in other words, wholeness. James is telling us in this life that we will face trials, and some of you in here are all too familiar with that. But James is telling us that that pain has a purpose and that God is doing a work in your heart. Out of the abundance of his compassion, God allows us to go through trials to strengthen us and make us whole or perfect, as James says. God's compassion provides. God's compassion provides. Let's go to Mark's gospel. Look at chapter 6, verses 34. Chapter 6, verse 34. It says, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Out of his oiktirmos, compassion, Jesus sees the sheep without a shepherd, and he feels so deeply for them that he is moved to action. And he is moved to shepherd them, and to teach them, and to bring them under his wings. Just a couple chapters later, chapter 8, verses 2 through 8, again, Jesus sees a hungry crowd of people, and out of the abundance of his oiktirmos, he multiplies a small amount of food and feeds thousands of people. He sees a need, the hunger of his people, and he is moved to act. He provides. Our God is a provider. Look at your name and say, our God provides. Our God is a provider, and he has provided more than food for us this morning. He's provided something better. He has provided for us the gift of salvation. God was so deeply touched with compassion that he was moved to action. He entered into humanity, into the womb of a peasant girl, entered into the brokenness and the suffering of this world in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, moved with such compassion that he longs to take us under his wings like a mother hen, to protect us like a mama bear, to keep us safe from sin and death and to grant to us a place in heaven. And none of this was because of our own good works or our own good deeds our own righteousness. God moved with rahum, compassion, acted to save his children and reconcile them to himself to establish with them an everlasting covenant. And Christ went to the cross as the ultimate act of compassion, bearing our sin and our guilt in order to save us. And that wasn't the final word. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and granting to us, his people, his children, restoration. We are restored to God. We are adopted into his family and we are brought underneath his wings. Amen. And so as I close, we are in the Christmas season, a time that is very difficult for a lot of people. 
And I can assure you, if that's you, God has moved with compassion for you. God loves you. As his church, we are to be Christ's ambassadors here on earth to love and care for all people. We are to be the kind of people who are moved with compassion to help in the suffering that we see. Uh, There's a couple of ways that you can do that here this morning at Rooftop. You can go out into the lobby and you can grab a card off the homeless tree or the Mexico mission tree, or you could even donate to the Afton Christian Food Pantry. You can donate to a charity that is helping the less fortunate this season. You can give a blanket to a homeless person. If you know someone who's spending the holidays alone, why not invite them into your home this holiday season? Which may sound weird, but that is the kind of compassion that Christ has called us to walk in and to live in, to be deeply touched by the hurting and suffering of others and moved to action like a mother hen disregards her own comfort and safety to ensure the safety of her chicks. We are to care for each other. When we are in pain or when we see others in pain, we can be certain that God is deeply touched and moved to respond. And he's there to meet us with his deep compassion like a mother hen gathering her chicks or a a mama bear protecting her cub. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and for your love and for your mercy and thank you so much for your, your deep compassion, the deep compassion that you feel for us as you looked from heaven and saw the suffering and the hurt and the brokenness. You didn't just feel sympathy from afar, Lord. You were willing to enter into the brokenness. You're willing to enter into the sin and to the hurt and to the suffering here at earth. And says you long to bring us in like a mother hen gathering her chicks. And so if there's anybody in here that does not know you, Lord, I ask that you would show them or perhaps remind them that, Lord, you are their protector. You are their provider and you love them so much. And we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us and all that you're gonna do. Amen.